that was the last time that I had seen, you know, my townhouse. That was the last time I seen my kids and my, the last glance that I had of my dad. Once I got down to the station, I was there. I don't even know how long I was sitting there because there wasn't a clock. It was just a table, you know, and like three chairs. And I'm just sitting in there. Did you have a lawyer? I did not have a lawyer at the time. But I mean, did that cross your mind? Like, oh, I should have a lawyer here. No, to be yeah. honest, I just was going to tell that, you know, tell exactly what happened. It was early July 2015. And what happened that night between Natalie Pollard and her on and off again boyfriend, Obina Nwankpa, was about to be headline news here in Minnesota. According to Natalie, a few hours before all this, Obina had showed up to Natalie's house drunk in the middle of the night. He was in the process of breaking in through an unlocked window when she woke up. He claimed he was there to get some of his things. Natalie let him in, and the two of them went to the basement, with Natalie bringing a small knife with her for protection. She had called the cops on Obina for domestic violence before. That's actually a huge reason why they had recently broken up. Natalie didn't know that Obina had a violent past. She didn't know that Obina had been convicted of domestic violence in Illinois and charged with domestic violence in Anoka County, Minnesota. But she did know that he was there, in her house, drunk in the middle of the night, and that she was scared, and that her phone and her kids were upstairs. In the basement, the two of them fought, verbally and then physically. And when the police finally arrived, they brought Obina to the hospital. He had been stabbed, with the knife that Natalie had brought to the basement for protection. Natalie didn't get a lawyer right away because she didn't think she'd need one. Natalie assumed the police would ask her some questions and she'd tell them what happened and then she'd go home to her five kids. You know, the investigator came in, finally he sat down and um, I, I asked him, like, you're asking me all of these questions. I'm like, is he dead? And he kind of sat there. And I'm like, is he dead? You know, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and kind of shook his head like, yeah, he's just, he's dead. He left out the room. He was gone for a long time. Next thing I knew, some men came in and they asked me to stand up against the wall to take pictures. And then after they left, another woman came in and made me take off my clothes that I had on and put them in a brown paper sack. She said, here, I need you to put these jogging pants on and this shirt and uh, put these orange flip-flops on. When she left out with my bloody clothes, that's when um, it was like two other guys came in and was like, we're booking you in for murder. Please turn around and push your hands behind your back. I was like, murder? You know, like... No, it's, I t defended myself in self-defense. I didn't murder anybody. And then they ended up walking me with my hands behind my back and handcuffs down this long hallway. And then finally we got to this, this do I call it the doom door. And uh, when they opened up the door, that's when I, I went into the Ramsey County booking area. I'm Nora McNerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Before Natalie found herself at the doom door, 
She was a person who liked watching The First 48. It's a true crime show, and it follows the first 48 hours of a homicide investigation. The doom door, when the person is booked, is when all the viewers find relief. The perp has been booked. Justice will be served. Maybe. The First 48 is just a TV show, and reality is much more complicated. The world is a very hard place. It's hard when you're a woman. It's hard when you're a black woman. It's hard when you are... A black woman who has survived domestic violence. It's hard when you're charged with the murder of your on-and-off boyfriend and you're eight weeks pregnant with his child. Which Natalie is. She's all of these things. And she's eight weeks pregnant with Obina's child when she's charged with second-degree murder in his death. All of that is hard. And it's going to get harder. That doom door is just the beginning for Natalie. Once she goes through that door, everything changes. Everything is harder. But what about things that are always hard? Things like motherhood. Things like pregnancy. Things like giving birth. Natalie's bail was set at $750,000. Bail is meant to give the defendant a reason to show up in court. The idea is that if you pay 10% of that bail, which in Natalie's case is $75,000, you are not held in jail while you await trial, but you're going to show up because otherwise you lose your money. It may not shock you to hear that a single mother of five going on six could not come up with that 10% she needed to be free. $75,000 would not be possible for me either. Natalie's parents wanted to sell their house to pay it, but Natalie said no way. Instead, she stayed in county jail. Ramsey County Jail is it's a nightmare. Um, at that in a particular time, I was it was 23-hour lockdown. And wh- how many people are in a cell? Two. What is your cell like? Cell is like, it's a big vault. I call it a, a time capsule. Because once they close that big heavy door behind you, It's like a big thud, like boom, and you can't hear anything. And if you want to speak or you need something, you have to press this little button on the wall. It's like this little intercom and the CO will, the correction officer or CO will communicate with you from their staff desk to your speaker. And you have to let them know kind of like in a five second interval, what's your emergency? When Natalie went to the police station, she had left her kids at her townhouse asleep and She wasn't going back. The kids, all of them, ended up staying with her parents. And seeing them was not as simple as just packing five kids up and driving them across the city. My mom had to set up a video visit. That's the only way that I was able to see them was like basically through a TV, talking to them on a phone and looking at them through a video seeing my kids. And where were they during this video visit? Also in the jail? They were in the jail. That is so terrible. It's so cruel. Yep, it's torture. You know, like, you know, seeing their little faces and them smiling. And they're arguing over who gets to be in front of the camera. Yeah, let me give you the phone and give me, let me talk to mommy. So, you know, having to pass the phone off to each one of them so I could say hi. How long do you get for those calls? Um, The calls were... Uh, 20 minutes. That's for, so that's four minutes a kid. Sometimes the videos would, just shut, would cut off because there would be a malfunction. And so I'd, sometimes I'd get 10 minutes, you know, to talk. And then the video would go out. And 
that's it. Like, what happened to my, where's my other 10 minutes, you know? And, oh, something's wrong with the video. You know, they'll have to reschedule and come back. You know, like, really? Frustrating as all that could be, those visits are the highlight of her 23-hour lockdown life. As months go by, waiting for her trial. And remember, Natalie's pregnant, which means that months go by in her pregnancy. If you've ever been pregnant, you know it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's very uncomfortable. You're growing this universe of possibility inside yourself, but also you have heartburn and you can feel this little foot kick and there's a person, but also you can't poop. Being pregnant, there's just a lot to do to take care of yourself and to take care of this baby that's growing inside of you. There's just so much. Um, the prenatal care was at that time, you know, they call you for medications. Um, in particular, for me, they give me my medications through my uh, little latch. It's so like would a little, they give you like a prenatal a vitamin? A prenatal vitamin okay. and... Um, I needed a stool softener um, oh, yeah. for the food, oh, God. Yeah, you know, so I needed those two things. Um, whenever I had a prenatal appointment, they would, you know, come and get me for my prenatal. And then they would hand, they would shackle, they wouldn't shackle my feet, but they would um, handcuff me. Did you go see a regular doctor for these? Or? Um, this, it, this would be the doctor that they provide through the county. So okay. I'd have to go to their specific clinic. A guard would have to be in the room yeah. with me while the doctor was doing an exam to see if I was dilated or to just make sure everything was okay. But the, a guard had to be in the room at all times to watch my every move and the doctor's every move. Natalie spends seven months in county jail. She's missed birthdays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's January by the time her trial rolls around, and she's hugely pregnant. She could have this baby at any moment. He was like a little monster just moving around because I was nervous, you know, and he settled down once I ate. So not having an adequate breakfast, you know, um, they wake you up at about a quarter to five o'clock in the morning and give you a little bitty like breakfast cake. They give you a four ounce cup of apple juice and they give you an eight ounce carton of milk and an egg. That was my breakfast. So when I was going to trial in the mornings, that's what all was on my stomach while I'm sitting, listening to my life, you know, go down the drain and not being able to eat and sitting there super, super pregnant, overly pregnant and looking at the jury, nine men, three women. The trial lasted three weeks. These are some of the final weeks of Natalie's pregnancy. And so... She's listening to a recounting of her life and her relationship and the most traumatic night of her life. And also sitting there and feeling her baby turn and kick inside of her. For three weeks, she listens to the state's claims. And they said that Natalie and Obina's relationship had been, quote, toxic. And that Natalie was, quote, filled with pent-up rage and anger and jealousy and taking revenge. They claimed that she had attacked Obina, quote, without provocation. That she had lied to investigators when they arrived at her townhouse. That she chose to pick up a knife instead of calling the police. That she hadn't avoided going to the basement. That she killed him, quote, not out of necessity, but because she could. Natalie's lawyers claimed self-defense that she had been attacked by Obina, 
had her hair torn out, been choked. She claimed that her use of the knife was self-defense. Her actions were reasonable and necessary to avert death or great bodily harm. And it's important to say again that no one but Natalie and Obina can ever know what happened between them and their relationship or in that basement. I've never been on a jury, but before you go back and you deliberate and you decide somebody's fate, you're given a set of instructions. In Natalie's case, Hans printed it all out and it's pages and pages and pages of the criteria that you are judging this person again. So it's not just your opinions. <laughs> you know, it's not just like what you feel in your heart. You're, you're given like clear direction on the standard that you are holding this person to. It took the jury five hours to deliberate. They brought Natalie back to the courtroom and they read the verdict. Guilty of second-degree murder while committing a felony. They did not feel that Natalie's assertion of self-defense was enough to meet the standard that they were instructed on. I wanted to throw up. Um... I felt defeated. I held my composure. I just kind of swallowed my tears and just kind of shook my head like, this is unbelievable. I cannot believe this is happening to me, like saying this in my head. But once we got back to the, you know, after I found I was found guilty, I went back to the holding cell and I just broke. I fell apart, you know, right there with my attorneys and everything. And my I just told him, I said, I cannot believe this. Why is this happening to me? You know, I, I have to go to prison now. Natalie was transferred to Shakopee Women's Prison, 20-ish miles southwest of Minneapolis. Amazingly, it's much more comfortable than the county jail. It's actually allegedly one of the places that Martha Stewart wanted to go. She didn't go there. It was a better facility, but it was also a much bigger facility. And Natalie is still pregnant. I was so big. And you have a certain time to walk from your unit to the core. It's called a core building where you go for like just a gym, you go to medical, you go to eat to cafeteria. So where I was, it was like a like a maybe a three block considering from oh, my unit was to the core building. And I was walking so slow and my belly was hanging so low and it was hurting. and I couldn't walk fast and they wouldn't give me a, tra- a, a wheelchair. So I was the last one, to <laughs> last the one bu- for dinner, last, last one, one for everything. And it was cold. <laughs> so me struggling, trying to keep up for that for that week. And after that first week in prison, Natalie went into labor. And I was sitting on the side of my bed and I said, roommate, I said, I know it's, not, it's dinner time. I said, I'm going to try to go to dinner. I said, I think I'm going to, I said, my contractions are hard. And she was like, well, you better let somebody know. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I'm telling you first. I said, I think I can make it to dinner. But then I maybe sat, maybe it was all of 15 minutes and they were coming every five minutes. I said, I think, I said, Roman, I think it's time. And she was like, okay, well, you know, let me go get somebody. So as she gets up, I'm behind her and I'm kind of like holding on to the wall because the contractions were, were coming on strong and fast. So as soon as I made it to the end of the hall, um, there was a wheelchair. The whole, every all the women that were in this day room were clapping. They were clapping. I'm not going to ever forget. They were like, yay, Natalie, she's going for a baby. And I just waved like, bye. So both times I went into labor, I was driven to the hospital by a frazzled husband, just like in a movie. Natalie was driven by some corrections officers. Natalie had a doula, 
a birth coach, through a program called the Minnesota Prison Doula Project. And here's how it works when you're pregnant. You have a doula. She's getting you prepared for your birth. And when you go into labor, you're supposed to call your doula and and tell her, look, this baby's coming. And then your doula rushes there and she helps you through everything. But Natalie doesn't have a phone, so she can't call her doula. I had to keep telling the nurses and the COs, here, I have my doula's card. Call my doula. I'm not going to push or anything till I know she's here so I can be, I can have that comfort, you know. She's been with me pretty much my whole pregnancy visiting. I don't know. I'm not comfortable, you know. Yeah. I know this is supposed to be a, a safe environment, and but I'm not comfortable because I know her. I don't know these other, these COs and these nurses. I know her. Family members are not allowed in the room when an inmate gives birth. Natalie is surrounded by corrections officers, nurses who are nice enough, but they didn't provide her prenatal care, so it's not like they're familiar faces. She's just surrounded by strangers. At what point in your life as an inmate do you just get to be a person? Because it feels like birth should be one of those moments. It's so intimate, it is so personal, it's so beautiful, it's so difficult, it's so primal. You deserve to be surrounded by love and support while you usher in this new life, don't you? Eventually, Natalie's doula does arrive. She was, you know, playing music for me on her phone, and the guards were just sitting there looking, just watching her every move as well. And then comes Natalie's son, Chancellor. He's perfect. Seeing him born, you know, it was like, a, you know, a dream come true. Finally seeing this little person that's been through the, everything with me, hearing me crying, hearing me sing, hearing me yell, hearing my feeling everything to finally actually get to meet this little person that's been through it all with me from day one. And just I did, hugging him and kissing him and he was he was such he's such a handsome baby he was a handsome he was the only boy in the nursery with other girl babies he was so handsome just a little bundle a little brown little handsome little bundle and so sweet. he was so sweet he didn't cry he was such a content baby like and they wanted me to try to nurse him. I said, I don't want to nurse him and not be able to continue. I don't want to become engorged right, either because yeah. that hurts. Yep. And so I kind of just put him to the breast a little bit, let him get some colostrum. But I didn't want to get connected and knowing that I wasn't going to be able to continue it. So they just gave me like little baby bottles to feed him and change his diaper and kind of wash him up, brush his hair. There are some good things about Natalie's birth experience as an inmate. She does get her doula, who she loved. Her baby is healthy, but so much of it, in my opinion, is bull. It is bull, but Natalie's birth could have been much worse. Until 2014, inmates at Shakopee could be shackled while they give birth. Think about that for a second. When Minnesota got rid of that practice, we were only the 20th state to do so. Natalie wasn't shackled, but she also wasn't given just the very basic decency you've earned by growing a human life. She is a convicted criminal, but she's still a human woman who just delivered her son. And her kids have a new baby brother. When my youngest was born, his older siblings were 15, 10, and 4. And I will always remember sitting in the hospital room 
holding the baby, having the door crash open and seeing the looks on all their faces when they saw their little brother for the first time. I remember the big kids just lighting up. They cried when they held him. They were holding his little feet. They were just kissing him, you know, marveling over his tiny little fingernails. Ralph was only four, so he wasn't that interested. He almost squished the baby's head at one point out of love. And also because he's clumsy, I just will always have those memories and Natalie won't. Natalie won't have any of those memories because she wasn't there when her kids met Chancellor. No family could come in. They, they removed the phone, you know, in the hospital room, so I couldn't use the phone. It was for security, you know, reasons. And, you know, they didn't, just knowing that my parents are like, in a few feet right. away or wherever they are, knowing that I'm And in, that, like, your big kids could come meet the baby and, like, there's literally no harm in that. Like, if anyone's seen somebody give birth, like, you're not in any condition to pull a fast to, one. To pull a, like, or even a slow one. Yeah. And they're like, well, you'll be surprised. I'm like, come on, seriously. I was not even thinking of... Um, Were you thinking, like, I'm going to be lonely without I am, him and my... I know I'm going to have to let him go. So... Knowing that I'd eventually have to go back to Ramsey County and be sentenced, not knowing for how long, you know, and hugging my baby and kissing him and, you know, tell him at the very beginning, you're so smart. You're such a smart baby. And, you know, mommy's going to miss you and I want you to be a good boy for me. And, you know, I'm going to see you soon. I, it, it, it was heartbreaking to. Like, how long did you have with him? I had only I had uh, 36 hours with him. It was like early Saturday morning when I finally ended up giving birth to him. I stayed with him all day Sunday, and then they ended up transporting me back to Shakopee Monday afternoon. After you give birth, your body, oh man, your body, it's flooded with hormones. There's research on the brain that shows, I mean, your brain changes. You are wired to fall in love with your baby. You want to be with your baby. You want to smell him. You want to, like, you want to eat his feet. You want to smell his head. You want to change that diaper. The longing to be with your child is so physical, even if you're an inmate. Birth is also very physical. File that under no duh, but I have run half marathons. I have I have never been more physically spent than after I gave birth. I mean, not just the obvious portions of my body, but like everything. It is an athletic event a lot and then afterwards your body's like what just happened you're bleeding it's like just it's a bloodbath rivers of blood clumps of it just so you know if you're pregnant (laughs) look forward to that part so after you give birth you are supposed to take it easy that's a medical term just take it easy natalie is a freshly postnatal mother when she arrives back at shakopee but she's also an inmate And inmates have to do what they're told, even if it's something that a new mom should not be doing. When I got back to the facility, they made me squat and cough. Which is not safe, by the way. Right. They made me, you know, strip and cough three times right after giving birth and, you know, made me clean up my... Yeah, all all that. that. Yep. Like, are you, well, I said to the COs, are you really going to make me squat and cough? They said, yeah. They just made me walk back to my unit. And I just went back to my unit, back into my into my room like it was nothing and laid down. There was no, like, 
meeting with a nurse for like any aftercare, if I'm having any thoughts of like postpartum depression or suicidal, anything. It was nothing. It was okay. Back to your unit. So we are going to take a little break. We'll be back. And we are back. A month after giving birth, Natalie went in for sentencing. The Ramsey County attorney had requested a sentence of 150 months. That's over 12 years. And I remember the judge saying, no, no, I'm not going to give her 150. I'm just going to give her 128. I'm going to give her the low end of the box. Her sentence ends up being 10 years, six if she serves two-thirds time. She'd miss Chancellor's first day of kindergarten. She wouldn't see her eldest graduate high school. That's still too much time for her to handle. But just to hear, like, 10 years, you know, and I was like, (sighs) I said, I have to get out of here. I need to have to appeal. Natalie fills out the paperwork for an appeal. She gets an appellate lawyer. You know, she kind of looked up what was going on, and she said, you have a lot of paperwork. She she said, you have over a thousand pages and transcripts. She said, it's going to take a while. But she said, I think we have something here. This lawyer is just what Natalie needed. And the two of them got to work. She would send me all of my briefing books. You know, I get a copy of all the briefings of what she was arguing. And it takes a lot to understand and for me to read over and over and go to the library and kind of do my own history out there on what certain things meant in my briefings with all the paperwork she was sending me and everything. That's how we kept communication is through mail. But appeals take time, and while they happen, Natalie is still in prison. So in the meantime, while researching and waiting for her snail mail updates to arrive, Natalie's also working. In prison, she folds and stuffs Mylar balloons, the shiny ones, the kind that she'd usually be buying for her own kids' birthday parties. She starts at 50 cents an hour. She moves up to $1.25 an hour. And being in prison is expensive, not just for the taxpayers out there, for the people in prison. You have to buy pretty much, like, everything. They'll supply free, like, sanitary napkins. Mm -hmm. Um, He can can handle the word pads, okay? (laughs) Like, period stuff, all right? Um, So you have to basically provide, like, everything for yourself. Hygiene, shoes, they give you state-issued clothes when you get there. But that stuff starts, it's hot, you know, you can um, purchase your own shoes. They have a catalog where you can specifically purchase just a specific pair of all-white shoes. They have to be all-white. They have to be all-white. A pair of shoes went from 30 bucks all the way up to $110. Are you serious? Okay, and if you are making a dollar an hour, Mm -hmm. this is like work 150 hours Mm -hmm. to get a pair of shoes shoes that you didn't want in the first place. Yep. (laughs) 
all of Natalie's kids are still with her parents, and she misses them. The prison is over 25 miles from their house, which is an hour round trip if traffic is good. How do you parent your children in half-hour visits every other weekend? In half-hour visits where you never, even for a moment, get to forget that you are an inmate? How can you cram in all that bonding, all the guidance you'd normally give them? Before this, Natalie was a very involved mother. She ran that house like a tight ship. Now her parenting time is limited to when her parents or her friends have time to bring the kids down during visiting hours. Sometimes they surprise me. And so I would just be like, just hanging around and they'd say, Pollard, you have a visit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids. So I'd have to hurry and rush and change my clothes and rush in to see my children when they come. So sometimes um, I have a friend that she stays like five minutes from Shakopee and uh, she'd get my son on the weekends and she'd just bring him with her, just them two. And I'd have like one-on-one time with Chancellor and hold him. And I couldn't change him though. She'd have to change him because we had to stay seated. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Aww. So, like, if she got up to change him, I'd have to sit down and wait for her to change him. Yeah. And they have, like, these mirrors all over the rooms and cameras beaming down on you and these little side mirrors in the corners. They got them lined up, rows. It's, it's mirrors and cameras everywhere. Between visits from the kids, Natalie focuses on her work, on prayer, on reading— and keeps the faith that her luck will change. A year and a half after her sentencing, she gets a letter. It's legal mail. She has to go to the staff desk to sign for it. It could be good news or bad news. So when I opened the letter, you know, I was kind of shaking, like, and I slowly opened up the envelope. And when I read, your conviction has been overturned unanimously. Oh, my God. You know, my, this is... I didn't even I could I looked around and everybody was just doing their own things and the, the CO was sitting at the desk typing and I looked at the CO and I looked back down at my paper like okay let me read this over and I read it again and I I said yes and I jumped up and down I was like yes 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 you're not supposed to make noise in the in the unit and I jumped up and down I was like I didn't care at this point you know like yes 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 and I was like I'm going home I'm going home and they're like Natalie you won your appeal I said I got it right here Natalie's appeal had been granted because the jury had been given incorrect instructions during the trial. That was called foreshadowing, what we did like 15 minutes ago. Those instructions were important. There are multiple types of self-defense, and the jury had held Natalie to the wrong one. They were told that Natalie needed to prove that her actions were reasonable and necessary to avoid death or great bodily harm. The successful appeal meant that those instructions were wrong. Because of the details of the case, Natalie should have been held to the other standard of self-defense, where she did not need to show that she feared death or great bodily harm. It's a distinction that meant, with different standards and instructions, a jury might rule another way. So her conviction had been overturned. So I assumed she would take that letter to the front desk and leave, like check out like she was at a Ramada. But that letter is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. She does not pass go and collect $200. Justice is not swift. It takes three months 
for Natalie to be taken back to the Ramsey County Jail. And when she did finally move from prison to jail, she thought she'd just be processed in the county where she was committed. They'd stamp something official, they'd type something up, and just send her on her way. She'd walk out, be home in time for dinner. Yeah, you know, no. I ended up going back for three weeks for in a 23-hour lockdown. Back to the door of doom. Back to the door of doom. The prosecutor is going to retry her and wants to set her bail for $750,000 again. But a judge disagrees that she needs bail. And at the end of those three weeks, Natalie is given conditional release. No $75,000 needed. She walks out of Ramsey County Jail free from incarceration after 28 straight months. My mom was in the lobby um, when she came to pick me up and a good friend of mine was also with her. And I'm like, Mom, come on, hurry up, you know, before they call me back in or, they, you know, I'm, I'm being punked or something. She was laughing. And I said, Mom, come on, I'll drive. You know, I have my driver's, you know, let's go. <laughs> so um, the first thing we did was we stopped at Popeye's Chicken because I had just seen a commercial. And I was like, oh, my God, it looks so crispy and so greasy and just buttery. I just want to eat something I, I like. Just, oh, something. <laughs> yeah. So we stopped at Popeye's and got I got something to eat. And then I was just nervous. I couldn't even eat it. I was just like, oh, my God, my kids, they did not have a clue that I was coming home. Oh, my god. So goodness. it was a surprise. I had made it. I told my parents, make it. Don't tell. Don't say anything about me coming home. And they're like, oh, no, we're not. The townhouse Natalie and the kids lived in is long gone, and so is everything that was in it except the kids' clothing and a few keepsakes. The kids live with Natalie's parents in a suburb just north of Minneapolis. Natalie has been incarcerated for more than two years. She's missed birthdays and holidays, and when she pulls into the driveway, the kids think she's still in prison. They think she'll be there for at least four more years. And I love this part because I love surprises. So instead of going through the garage, I went to the side door and then I heard my friends say, um, go see who's at the door. And they're like, why do we all have to go? And he, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you never know. It might be it's a big surprise. Go see who's at the door. So they love surprises. So I heard their little feet running up the steps. And then um, I heard somebody trying to one of them, the little ones trying to turn the knob. They weren't strong enough. So I heard my older daughter say, girl, move. Yeah. Let me open the door. So when they open, when she opens the door, they were like, <gasps> their eyes just went wide open and mouths dropped like, mommy. And they pulled me in and like everybody just all six of the hugs. Even my little baby, he, mommy, you know, ran. He's talking. He's, he's walking. He was talking, he's doing all these he things. He's talking and walking. And he seemed, he was like, mommy. And his little face lit up. Their faces lit up. They started crying. Like they were just all hanging on me. All, even my big girls, they were hanging on me. Like they didn't want to let me go. I said, I told you mommy was coming home. I said, I kept my word. I said, it took a little while. I said, I promise you mommy was coming home. You know, and they were like, yay, mommy. And then one of my daughters was like, mommy, are you going back? I said, nope, mommy's home. Mommy's not going back. Nope. And they didn't want to go to sleep. They didn't want to go to school. It was the next day. And did I you make them? I did. Oh, I said, I said, <laughs> you have to go to school and, and mommy's going to be right here when you get home. What did you do with your first day? I took a bath. I took a bath and I soaked and, and 
I, I rinsed the water out of the tub and took like another bath, you know, just to relax my muscles. I just relaxed the, the, the prison, everything, the clothes, the smell, the feel, everything. I just rinsed it. I wanted to rinse it off, even the jail, everything. When Natalie had walked out of the prison, she had said to her corrections officers, I won't be back. And she keeps saying that to her kids, too. Mom's not going back, but she doesn't actually know that. The Ramsey County Attorney's Office wanted to retry Natalie with the correct instructions for a self-defense argument. Natalie has spent over two years away from her children. She's lost her home, her future, and all that time. The state wanted to retry her for second-degree murder. Knowing that Obina had a conviction for domestic violence in Illinois and another charge of domestic violence in Minnesota, knowing that most women who are murdered aren't murdered by a stranger, but by their husbands or boyfriends, but also knowing that Obina's family felt like justice had not been served in his death. Natalie's case got a lot of media attention and a lot of social media attention. A petition urging the Ramsey County Attorney's Office to drop the charges against her gained over 36,000 signatures. Natalie had a choice. She could go back to trial, and her lawyers told her she could probably win, but that's a gamble. And if you'd already lost out on years with your children, would you be willing to gamble on losing any more? Natalie was not. I asked my attorneys, what about a deal? You know, I'd be, I'd accept a deal if it was reasonable. I don't like gambling. I feel like I was a gamble with my life, you know, and I already gambled once and lost. So Natalie pleads out to second-degree manslaughter. The sentence is exactly the time she's already served, so she doesn't have to go back to prison, back to that doom door. But she's not exactly free either. Even though I'm not incarcerated anymore, I still have to carry, you know, the fact that, you know, no someone is no longer here, you know, because of me. Besides the emotional trauma she carries from all of this, because she's now a convicted felon, there are really big practical implications from her plea. I couldn't physically stay with my parents because they were it was still an open child protection case at the time. And they were also foster parents to my children. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I couldn't physically stay with them. I could come visit. So I was living with my uncle. You know, I'd, I'd make sure that they were down for bed. And then once they were down, then I would leave and go back to my uncle's. Natalie didn't have a car, so she used Uber and Lyft to go back and forth across the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for six months like this. Natalie and her parole officer had made a plan, a plan to help Natalie rebuild her life. But I just kept thinking, how? Before all of this, before prison and her felony plea, Natalie was thinking about the future, about nursing school, with a felony, that has evaporated. So I can't work with children. I can't work in a hospital setting. Um, pretty much the fields that for people with felonies is like construction or like hard labor, you know. And I mean, I don't mind hard labor, but that's not like a, something I want to make as like a career. You, you want know? to be an OB nurse. I wanted to be an OB nurse. Um, you know, that was like my passion, you know, saying to, to be able to help other people that are are not able to really help themselves. 
even if she could get a job, an hourly job with the minimum wage of $10.25, how could she afford a place for her kids in Minneapolis? A three-bedroom apartment is not cheap. The average cost at the end of 2017 was about $1,500. And most personal finance experts agree, your rent or mortgage should not be more than a third of your income, which by that standard would mean Natalie would need to work basically around the clock, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, with six kids, which would mean, like, see what I mean? How would she do this? I mean, even let's say she was able to make it on just half of her gross income going to rent. She'd still need to work 13 hours a day, five days a week to make that work. And that's just rent. That doesn't include the basic expenses of raising children. And Natalie is also paying restitution to Obina's family to cover his funeral expenses. So Natalie has a lot of free time and a lot of love, and she would like to use that for something good, like volunteering for her kid's school. I have to fill out a volunteer form, and they're going to do, you know, I can't do that because they do a background check. Yeah. Natalie has 14 college credits, so she could potentially take out a loan to get a degree, which would place her deeper in debt right from the start, with no guarantee that she'd even be able to get a job at the end of it because of her felony. Natalie may not be behind the doom door anymore, but the doom is still there. Natalie served 28 months in jail and prison. Her time has been served, but the punishment isn't over. And I don't know if it ever will be. I knew that it was going to be time served where I knew I wouldn't have to go back, but also still having to accept the fact that I'm, you know, I'm a felon and having to work around my life with that, you know, the barriers that I'm going to, that I have and that I'm facing. And it's not easy. It hasn't been easy in the the seven and a half months that I've been out now. I'm just trying to find my way again. This month, Natalie is the beneficiary of a grant from Still Kickin'. That's the nonprofit I founded after my husband Aaron died. Still Kickin' is a retail-based nonprofit, and we give financial support to people going through difficult situations. Situations like trying to pull yourself together after you get out of prison. You can see photos of Natalie on the Still Kickin' social media channels and help support her at stillkickin.co. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Butow. My name is Nora McNerney. Our project manager is Hannah Meacock-Ross. Ben Ruxin was a pal on this episode, and so was Curtis Gilbert. Uh, Our music is by Joffrey Wilson, and we are a podcast that is made by APM, American Public Media.